When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easy to turn your idea into a unique website. Showcase your work, blog, or publish content, even sell products and services in just a few clicks. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you are ready to launch, use the offer code CANADALAND to save 10% off of your first purchase of a website or domain. Ha <laughs> 
Six people were killed and eight wounded after gunmen opened fire at a mosque in Quebec City. The shooting occurring during evening prayers Sunday night. Two suspects were arrested, but no information has been released about them or the motive behind French the attack. French language Radio Canada quoting an anonymous witness that two masked individuals entered the mosque and started to fire. The suspect contacted 911 and uh, identified himself as being involved. Officers had identified two suspects. Now they're just down to one. The other man, who was a Moroccan-Canadian, has been identified just as a witness. Alexandre Bissonnet lived on a cul-de-sac in Saint-Foy. It's the same neighborhood as the mosque and less than a kilometer away. On this first day back to work on Parliament Hill, the flag outside flies at half-mast. Make no mistake, this was a terrorist attack. We will get to the bottom of this. Incidents of Islamophobia have increased in Quebec in recent years. The question of Muslim headscarves and face coverings became an issue in the 2015 federal election. Last year, the same Quebec City mosque found a pig's head laying on its doorstep. One year ago, at the height of Brand Canada's moment, less than a month into the Canada 150 celebration, something happened in a suburb of Quebec City that was really, really off-brand. Mass shootings are supposed to be an American thing. This is not Canada. A Trump-supporting, anti-feminist, anti-refugee internet troll with a military background and access to guns. This is not Canada. A hate crime massacre in a place of worship. This is not Canada. But it was. In fact, it was uniquely Canadian. I cannot find a record of a mass shooting in a mosque ever having happened in the United States. And this wasn't the first time a Canadian mosque was targeted. There have been bomb threats against mosques in Vancouver and Montreal. In Montreal, somebody threw a Molotov cocktail at a mosque. In Peterborough, Ontario, a mosque was set on fire. These things have happened here more times than they have happened in the States, and we are a tenth of their population. This is Canada, but you wouldn't know it. As you will hear later in this episode, our media gives more attention to jihadist terror attacks that occur in the United States than it does to terror attacks against Muslims that happen here in Canada. And who would more Canadians recognize a photograph of? Dylan Roof, the white supremacist who murdered nine black Christians in a church in America, or Alexandra Bissonnette, the white extremist who killed six Muslim Canadians in a mosque right here in Canada? I don't know for sure, but I do know that outside of Quebec, twice as many Canadians searched for information about Dylan Roof than they did for Bissonnette. One year ago today, Alexandra Bissonnette walked into the Islamic Cultural Center of Quebec City, also known as the Great Mosque of Quebec City, and opened fire on 53 worshippers. 19 people were injured and six Canadians were murdered. Ibrahima Bari. Mamadou Thanubari, Khaled Bilkasimi, Abu Bakar Thabti, Abdelkrim Hassani, Azadine Sufyan. Those are the names of the men who were killed one year ago. And today, it kind of feels like it never even happened. And I'm going to try to figure out why. Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Daniel Allen, Nick Nussbaum, Kyle Blades, Julianne Sneptz, Gork Enyan, Sarah Fassi, Mark Ilton, and Kate Padin.
My name is Kate and I'm a creative director from LaSalle, Ontario. I support CanadaLand because you make knowing what is going on in Canada and the world fun. But seriously, I like that it's all the information you need wrapped up in a quirky little package with a giant Beware of Content sticker. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away, but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is also brought to you by $20. I'm serious, it's $23 uh, from Paytm Canada. Paytm Canada is an app that lets you pay your bills and do other things, and they're really confident that you're going to like paying your bills using their app. So what they're doing is just giving you money. It's a pretty good deal. You download the Paytm Canada app to your phone, iPhone, Android, doesn't matter. You can do it through their website, paytm.ca, and they'll put $20 in Paytm cash into your account and you can just pay off any bill. They have 5,000 different billers in their system. It's really simple. You just click the bill you need to pay and you can pay it with the money that they're just giving you because they think that you'll keep using their app because it's a really good app. That's it. You don't have to. You could spend the $20 on your cell phone bill and never use it again, but they're really confident that you're not going to do that, that you're going to keep using it. So that is the deal. $20 of free cash, Paytm Canada, sign up code, CanadaLand. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace. And if you are ready to start your new business or project, then you should do that with Squarespace. They have beautiful templates. You can just plug in your own information and in minutes, it's kind of fun to do, you will have a beautiful website that works on any device that never needs updating of any kind. You can showcase your work, your blog, publish content, sell products and services of all kinds. It just takes a few clicks. You can customize everything. They have analytics that will help your business or project grow in real time. If you do have any questions, they have award-winning 24-7 customer support. 
Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you are ready to launch, use the offer code CanadaLand. You will save 10% off of your first purchase of a website or domain. Once again, that is squarespace.com, offer code CanadaLand. Activist Sayed Hassan went to the scene of the massacre. He went to the Great Mosque of Quebec City and he wrote about it for Canada Land. He is also working with imposter host Aliyah Pabani on an online memory project asking Canadians and others to share where they were when they first heard the news of the mosque shooting. Hi, Hassan. Hi, Jesse. How are you? I'm okay. How are you doing? Good, good. Hassan, you visited the mosque in Quebec City where the massacre occurred. You went to the gun range where Bissonnette practiced shooting. Mm-hmm. You visited the neighborhood where he used to live. Yeah. Nobody hired you to do any of that. No. To go To go to the scene of this massacre, the scene of the crime. Why did you choose to do this? I mean, I think the question is, why doesn't everyone? I mean, this is the most um, horrific mass shooting in decades in this country. It's the only time that Muslim men have been shot and killed. And I went because I felt that there was sort of this collective forgetting and that I too was forgetting and that we had to make a direct relationship to the place where this had happened. And uh, I just wanted to kind of sit there and feel the place, talk to the people who were there. It just felt important to go to the mosque. And then once I went to the mosque, I was reading the news on the way over and I found out about this gun range. So I then needed to go to the gun range. I needed to see for myself. Yeah, there was, it, I don't have a specific reason. Did it work? I mean, it, it seems like I can understand what you're saying, that something like this, that is both the worst mass shooting in recent Canadian history you wrote for us, it's the only mosque shooting in North America. Mm-hmm, yeah. This major event that, you know, I, I have thought and said many times, like, wow, I can't believe that that only happened a month ago, six months ago, exactly. now a year ago. Like if that had happened in a church or a synagogue, I feel like, like it does feel like it's slipping away from us. And uh, I could kind of understand the desire to sort of make it tangible, make it real as it fades. Was that accomplished? Did being there accomplish that for you? I think being there made me, um, you know, I have an image in my head that I can relate to and connect, and I'm hoping that other people can too um, in writing about it. But what I realized there, that that kind of forgetting that's happening um, pervades everywhere. And so it was very interesting to speak to the people in the mosque and hear from them that they also um, shared that experience about why it is fading from memory. Not for anyone there. I think everyone is coming to that mosque. There are more people coming to the mosque than before the shooting mm-hmm. to build community, to find solace in each other. So that to me was that I got to participate for a brief moment in that experience. You know, a moment ago I said, had this happened in a synagogue, had this happened in a church, be a much bigger deal. I, I think that that's true, but I also worry that that might be too simplistic. And something you wrote in your piece would suggest that it might be too simplistic. You spoke to a man named Ziad Khalil, who's a member of that mosque, and he told you about going to 
one of the largest Muslim conferences in North America, where he put out a survey that almost 200 people answered, where he asked them whether January 29th had been a normal day or a sad day. And the majority of them said normal day. A majority of them could not place that as the date of this massacre. And these were Muslims. Mm-hmm. I think that when I'm talking about collective forgetting, of course, there's collective forgetting in the media, right? Uh, we know that the coverage of the mosque shooting was four times less than, say, the Boston Marathon bombing. And yet, uh, we know it's happening over there, but it's also happening in our own communities. I mean, uh, one of the sort of triggers or for me was that this mass demonstration was organized in Toronto against Islamophobia organized mostly by Muslims, but it didn't in its any of its outreach materials or its press materials mention the Quebec shooting, right? Why do you think that is? Because I think we are all forgetting. It's not just the mainstream, but it's this sort of structured thing where either we're forgetting or we are talking about this as kind of a simple tragedy, a hate crime that occurred. There will be a trial in March, and that's how it will be resolved rather than what it is, which is that it's this political moment that points to, you know, decades and centuries of state-sponsored Islamophobia. It comes from wars, it comes from immigration policies, and it makes all of us complicit. Those are very, very hard questions that we aren't dealing with by naming it as kind of this, like, aberration. Yeah, it's a very difficult thing to understand. I mean, there is evidence to support the simplest explanation, and you bring up some of it. I mean, the media coverage of this, you can compare that to other things and just say, okay, well, there's a double standard here. And you mention the Boston Marathon attack, which not only were fewer people killed, but mm-hmm. it happened in a different country. And in the Canadian press, there was more coverage. Four times more. Yeah. Four times more. I mean, I'm looking now at the cover of the Globe and Mail the day after the Boston Marathon attack and it's terror in Boston, huge headline, color photograph. That's the main story. The day after the Quebec mosque shooting, it's on a side column of the front page in a smaller font than the main story. The main story that day was top tech leaders press Ottawa to issue visas after Trump order. There's other things we can look at coverage of the attack on parliaments, you have Prabo, and, and that was round the clock. It was massive coverage. Everything we had went towards that story mm-hmm. uh, where one person was killed and this other story where six people were killed got much less coverage. I think Muslims are killable and they have been and we have been a group of people. I mean, two million Muslims have been killed in the last 10 years. That's 547 a day by wars, specific wars that are led by the United States. But Canada profits from its banks are involved, its corporations are involved, and we do not bat an eyelid, right? And that isn't happening to many other communities and constituencies, and I would say that this is part of our culture. So Muslim lives are simply, are that. When we think about terrorism, it is conducted by Muslims, not against Muslims. I don't think the terrorism frame is useful at all because it gets rid of the state violence, but this forgetting that is happening, and I think that it is structured, it's political, it's long-term, it's coordinated, it's cultural. And so without a very, very strong, coherent, consistent effort to fight the forgetting, this is bound to happen. And I think that this is where I want to take responsibility. So I'm not from the media, right? But we didn't do events. There are no poets who wrote poems. No one made a film. No one wrote a book. People didn't produce art. We didn't do events 
that could then become news, right? There wasn't that space for reflection together mm-hmm. um, to ask all of the very complicated questions. And so I think that everyone was in this joint complicity, including myself. Um, Why would that include people like yourself who are so engaged with these topics? Why would that include Muslims themselves? Why why would that include the people who organized anti-Islamophobia rallies? Wouldn't those people be the first people who would... I mean, your project that we're going to talk about is about not forgetting. I'm interested in this question of the internalized forgetting. I can understand the media moving on, and we can quantify that. It's a trickier thing to get my head around why the Islamic community itself would consider Muslim lives to be forgettable. I do, so I don't think, okay, when I use the word forgetting, we have to be very specific. I'm not saying that Muslims forgot, right? What I'm saying is that there isn't the space for, um, and when I, it's not just Muslims, it's people who are engaged in questions of immigration, terrorism, mm-hmm. national security, activists, people engaged in human and social rights issues. Um, it's not just a question of like a religious identity. All of us had a moment where we... Uh, even when we cared about it, we weren't speaking about it, right? Even when we are um, thinking about it, we don't write it down because it's deeply embedded in our culture and mm-hmm. society. The thing about Islamophobia is that it's invisible. It's not actually hate crimes. Hate crimes, many people can generally agree is bad, right? But Islamophobia is layered and deeper thing and no one is excluded, just like, you know, racist ideas are also in people of color, right? Patriarchal ideas are it's also in women, and, yeah. right? And it's not just an Islamophobic idea. It's that if you're living in a society where these debts are not considered valuable, some part of you just kind of lets it go. Mm-hmm. But one thing, I do think that I don't have answers, right? What I'm trying to say is, look, this is happening. Yeah. And I'm hoping that all of the conversations need to kind of start at this level. Like January 29th is worth a day talking about. Yeah. Right. And then from there, hopefully many, like many people have to think it, write it, sing it, make it to get some of the answers. Like, I don't know why, you know? Yeah. It's an exploration. I mean, it's trying to figure out, like, I find it something that even though I can kind of back up this being just another case of media, uh, it's a hard thing to articulate, isn't it? I feel like there is an aspect to which because it happened in Quebec, it is easy for the rest of Canada to kind of feel, if not say, well, that's not really Canada, right? That we don't classify that the same way. And that works for everybody because Bissonnette was a Trump-supporting anti-immigrant, anti-feminist from the little that we know about him. And he has certainly not been as exhaustively profiled as, you know, say a Dylan Roof or any of these other mass killers where it just becomes fetishized. There is comparatively very little written about him. But what we do know is that he can be fit very easily into a rising alt-right white nationalist kind of a context. But because he was Canadian and French Canadian, I think that in America, they could disavow any kind of responsibility for him. And here in Canada, because it was in Quebec, we could disavow any, well, that's not really us. And then I do feel like because not just that the victims were Muslim, but because it seems like they were marginalized from mainstream Canada in many ways. Do you feel like these dynamics had anything to do with it? Like if this had happened in a mosque in downtown Toronto, downtown Vancouver, would it have been any different? Well, a few things. So on the Quebec question, in Quebec City, this is covered round the clock all the time. When I was there, there were three journalists in the mosque that day, Mm -hmm. right? which is different than Montreal, it's different in other parts. The debate is different. It's it's much more alive for people. And I think that in some ways, yes, the media in the rest of Canada hasn't done its work. 
I don't, I don't say his name. I just call him the murderer. But what I want to really point out and suggest is that it could be any of us. We live in a climate where Muslims are killed all the time, right? as I said. Um, and that killing doesn't happen by just the person pulling the trigger. It's an entire industry that allows that to happen. Mm-hmm. So this man was trained to be a cadet by the army. Mm-hmm. who churned out all of these people it's training. He's somebody who went to a gun range and, and trained there. He went to Laval University. Right? These are very, very normal things that people do. And yes, of course, it's always easy to say it's a lone wolf, someone who's off their rocker in some way and that they are the problem. I want to talk about the fact that, you know, every year the government of Canada does these kinds of Islamophobic facts. Maybe it doesn't go and shoot people, but it deports them to places they will die, right? It doesn't shoot people in mosques, but it, you know, certainly sells weapons to countries who then blow those bombs up. We're all part of that. So I think it's an aberration only if it's seen out of context. Well, that is a possible explanation as to why it would be forgotten, right? Because if what you're suggesting is, is that in order to actually process this and talk about this, we would have to have a national conversation. Precisely. About not just, I mean, people always interpret racism as sort of like a personal attack as opposed to a systemic issue or a matter of foreign policy. To connect this with that did not seem like something that anyone was willing to do. Even in, I mean, you bring up the Quebec press where this was talked about much more extensively. And, you know, it did seem like there was a process whereby... TVR fucked it up and was very quick to try to blame it on Islamic militants, two attackers, this Mm -hmm, this completely mm -hmm. fake and erroneous story. And then, you know, her talk of a move in Quebec media to humanize Muslims of Quebec and to to look internally at at their own conversation. But it sort of, as I understand it, Mm -hmm. didn't go past that, that it didn't get to this place where you're talking about. Yeah, and I'm not sure that that conversation happens in the media. I think it happens in the media after it's happened in society, which means we need to have that conversation in art. We have to have that conversation in meetings. We have to have that in our homes. And if people don't even remember what January 29th is, that conversation can't initiate. I don't think media leads. um, It does sometimes, but often it's a reflection of the broader conversation in society. Mm -hmm. And so... Absolutely, I think, comprehensive coverage. So, for example, the humanizing of these six men, that when you read about them, it talks about their lives here. But one of the questions is like, well, why were they here? Right? Why were they here? Why, why did they have to leave their countries? What is the state of colonialism? What is the state of capitalism that forced and displaced these six people to arrive on indigenous territory? In, in, in search of a better life. <laughs> right, we, but we, what we, does that mean? In search though? of a better life. We, we have a very quick understanding right. of that. We understand ourselves as the place that people come to because it's better here. And it's better here because it's worse there, right? Yeah. Or we say, we are here because you are there. Yeah, and it's worse there, <laughs> perhaps in part because of us, I think is what you're saying. I hear that. I think it's all about implication. Like, do you feel implicated or not? Quebec might have gotten further than the rest of Canada in processing this because they felt implicated because of how atrocious their media had been behaving in, in the lead up to this. In the rest of Canada, I'm looking at like Google search results and to a ratio of two to one, Canadians were searching for Dylan Roof more than Bissonnette. They were more interested. I mean, whatever that tells you, it tells you that their curiosity, who they wanted to read more about and learn more about, a white American killer of black Americans was of more interest to all of Canada, except for Quebec, than a white Canadian killer of Canadian Muslims. And I think that's because we did not feel implicated by Dylan Roof 
we can engage in curiosity and morbid curiosity about that killer because he's not us. He's a, he's a racist white American. That's not me. But to contemplate that somebody who's a lot more like me did something like this is something nobody wants to take ownership of that. Does that... Let me hear this out. So either people feel not implicated, so they don't engage, or they know deep down that we are all implicated, and therefore we can't ask the deep questions. Mm -hmm. I don't know which one is right. Yeah. You know, it comes across really evocatively in your writing that it's not like going to a place where something bad happened and everybody supports it. It's not like going to like the deep South after like the Birmingham church bombing and then, you know, this is your in KKK territory. It's as you write, it's erasure. It's going to this frozen place as if it never happened. You know, not a place where everyone's cheering for this or, mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. or feels like it's just frozen. Like yeah. there's just such a will to forget this is, quickly. This is not the Canada, right? It's this notion that it keeps happening here, right? I mean, just after the um, recent incident in Toronto, Trudeau tweeted, this is not what we Canadians are. Right. That turned out to be a false report of the 11-year-old girl having her hijab cut. But the headline response was, this is not Canada. That's the reflexes. While we know that there's a 263% increase in hate crimes between 2012 and 2015, we know that, that most of them are not reported, right? But I still think it's easier to deal with hate crime. It's easier for people to like conclude that this is not okay. Right. People could be like, you don't attack an 11-year-old child. Mm-hmm. Um, I get that. It's, it becomes harder when it's six grown Arab men, two of whom are black. It's like people start getting less angry about it. Yes. It's like the Alan Kurdi photo, right? Like if you have an evocative emotional piece involving children and it has to do almost with the level of aesthetics, like the mm-hmm. resolution, the composition of the material, these grainy headshots of the victims in Quebec City versus this beautiful portrait of the 11-year-old girl in Toronto, like production values seem to matter when you're trying to uh, elicit human sympathy and interest, you know? Yeah, maybe for the general public, that's possible. I mean, my question is inclusive of people like me. It's inclusive of, as I said, activists, artists, academics, Muslims. And what have we done over the last year? What have you done to Mm. mark this? How have we impacted? How are we only returning to it 12 months later because it's an anniversary that many of us forced the general public, frankly, to deal with as an anniversary. Why six months ago, three months ago, one month ago, we weren't unpacking and like saying, we need to fundamentally reshape our analysis and our idea. Like, what would it take? Six, if six is not enough, then Mm -hmm. the next question becomes how many? How many of us, you know, have to die before it becomes something that requires deep introspection? And tell me briefly how you're trying to encourage that introspection and memorialize this. So we've created a website that is really a conversation starter. It invites people to talk about where they were on January 29th. And uh, you just use hashtag RememberJan29 and you post on Instagram or on Twitter or on the website or there's a dedicated Facebook group and all gets aggregated into a website the objective is to create a space for people to begin the conversation, right? Like once we remember where we were on that day, maybe we can have the broader conversation about what all of the implications are. It's a way for people to communicate with each other, to see, oh, a lot of people are thinking. And I've, I've asked a lot of people, and they're like, we don't remember. And I'm like, please post that, right? post that I don't remember. That's important because it's like we have to start this conversation really at that level. We have to begin by being like, 
this is something worth remembering. Once we remember it, then it's something worth unpacking. Then it's the hard questions. Then with, if we get answers, then we need to act on them, right? We're at a very initial stage of metabolizing and understanding and taking up um, this massacre. It is, of course, important to remember and to memorialize. Do you feel like we are any... Would it surprise you if the same thing happened tomorrow? Well, I guess what I'm trying to say, it's happening now. It may not be happening in a mosque in this kind of brash, brazen fashion. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I see your, the, the hate crime, the massacre, the aberration is the newsworthy event that gets the attention. It, right. it, it, you know, and yet those moments are illustrative of something when things boil over, when the, the collective racism finds action in the hands of a young killer like that. Like the most powerful states that have ever mm-hmm. existed are collaborating in a relentless campaign, a permanent campaign to stop the next attack from a young male Muslim would-be killer. There's no comparable effort to stop the next Alexandra Bissonnette that I'm aware of. I think that it may be framed as the intention is to st- the states are marshalling themselves to stop terror. It's not about terrorism. It's never been about terrorism. It's about really one continued history over centuries. It's not about let's try and stop the next extremist or the next terrorist, right? For me, what's important here is that he walked in and he didn't care which six men he killed, Mm -hmm. right? But six specific men were killed and we have to honor their lives. We have to make sure that their families are okay and the survivors, right? And a lot of that work hasn't happened either. The estrangement and alienation is ongoing in that Amin Bali was forgotten, the, the man who tried to stop this from happening and, and paralyzed as a result, and until recently when the media was made aware of his case and oh. money was raised. And still nothing. I mean, no politician has given him any money. No one's really showed up. And there's money being raised for his housing, but there's a lot more resources and support that he needs and his family needs. It's yeah. A, yeah. The act of basically claiming the victims Abs- as yes. you're us. You, <laughs> yeah. This happened to you, it happened to us. Is still an unfinished, uh, barely begun project. But yeah, th- these uh, aberrations, these incidents, they matter to the people they happen to. They matter to the people who might be victimized by it next. And I don't really see a difference between a mosque being bombed in Pakistan or Afghanistan and shot up in Quebec, I guess. And I don't think any of us can. Well, uh, yeah, I get your point on an intellectual level, on a on a. Uh, I mean it viscerally. In a practical I mean emotionally, level. I mean as humans. I mean, why? It's why is it impractical? Because people die in the world every day in horrible circumstances, and it's impossible for anybody to take responsibility or have find room in their empathy for every atrocity that happens every day. Not alone, but we have to do it together. I mean, I I believe that. I think that's the entire work that we have to do is to understand specifically as ourselves how are we complicit and collectively how are we complicit i mean i don't know i mean I, what do we do we we run de-radicalization schools for y- young white men and take away their guns like they'll have knives like that's not how this works um we're talking about undoing centuries of violence it is acceptable and in fact celebrated to kill masses of muslims how can any child growing up here watching that on television and social media not begin to think that maybe this is the right thing to do? Maybe they don't act on it, but there's a part of a lot of people who are like, kind of get it. And that's a problem. 
That is your Canada Land Show. You can email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send me. We are also on Twitter at Canada Land. Go to our Facebook page. You'll find all of our recent news articles posted there. And while you're there, if you hit like, you will get our future news stories as they are published on your Facebook news feed. You can also find that stuff at canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. This show was produced by Ali Graham. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. You can visit them online at cfuv.ca. And if you like what we do, please support us on Patreon. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.